When your league trophy's not there on time, and your first plan was to attach a vinyl sticker to a pizza tray, it's That's So MLS, a North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Fates, and Nick Thornton. Hello, it's me, and we finally have a winner. <laughs> In, sort of. <laughs> indeed, the, the Philadelphia Union are the kings of this rotten, terrible regular season. That it has been 2020. The MLS is uh, 25th and worst <laughs> season. Now this is. I didn't know about the pizza box thing. Is that uh, was that the that was the initial plan? Okay, so the supporter shield, uh, as you know, it had come down to between Philadelphia and Toronto, who had kicked up right. the the big issue, and then and then. By the time it came to the, the actual decision itself, they were tied on points. And I wondered aloud on Twitter, where is the supporter shield physically right now? Because <laughs> you have two matches. There is an expectation, you know, it's the it's the um as 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 we've talked about in past shows, it's not the most prestigious title in terms of how MLS how cares about you? it. In terms of how MLS cares about it and how it presents it. It's the most prestigious pizza box, apparently. But we but we expect we expect that a league trophy is presented to the team that wins it on the day that it wins it. So I'm like two matches I'm not sure I do, but I know lots of other people do. Two matches <laughs> two matches are taking place in different cities with teams that both have options to win the tro- trophy. So I'm thinking, where is it? Apparently held up in USPS shipping on its way Amazing. from uh, on its way, or, or, or I think actually UPS is what they were saying. Uh, uh, if it's USPS, we got to count and make sure it's a legal supporter <laughs> show and not oh, illegally no. cast after. Uh, no. Too soon, too soon. Just keep going, just keep going. <laughs> the, the, uh, it got held up in the shipping. And so this is the thread that happened. Okay, so um, Andrew Weeb of... Uh, and the host of Extra Time Radio and, and MLS.com media person uh, said, this is the story of how Captain America's shield, complete with 150-pound force magnet, became the supporter shield. Now, it's not clear from this thread whether or not it's the Sons of Ben, in which case, if it's the Sons of Ben, all, all bets are off. If it, if it, I, I think that that's a fine thing, but if, it, if it's the league and the team that's handling this, um, yeah. they... They've turned essentially a cosplay, a cosplayer's metal Captain American shield into the supporter shield. And what he says in this thread is, they were about to get a 16-inch pizza tray covered with a vinyl sticker when someone said, well, I do know a guy with a shield. <laughs> Which I think is also a reference to Captain America. I think that's a line that's said in one of those I, movies. I think I, it is, yeah. I understood that reference. Um, and the, uh, and, and so they sort of talk about how they went and they got it heat shield, heat sealed. And it says, oh, the end result, effing awesome. I, I, I mean, like, it's okay, but it's still a printed version of the, the shield. The shield's now in Philadelphia. They have it. Jim Curtin, uh, or no, sorry. There was a picture tweeted of the Sons of Pan president has it. So it's been accounted for. Um, 
you made a great point that I think is my feeling on this whole issue. As 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 fun as it is, and as as much of a, a tremendous MLS story as it is, just wait, just wait. <laughs> you said, why does it have to be awarded that day? Yeah, like I I mean, look, points for improvisation. Um, <laughs> I get it. I I think they could have really leaned into a lot of Philadelphia uh, stereotypes <laughs> and union throwbacks. Like, just a giant bag of onions would have been amazing to see uh, Bedoya just hoist that Celebrate it with the dupe bag. That's absolutely right. Right? right? Or just a giant Philly ch- cheesesteak, like a hoagie, and they're all holding a piece, and it just runs the length of the team. I mean, look, I'm available for ideas if uh, any team's out there about to win a trophy and they need an idea for, for what exactly will be the prize. I'm now taking calls. This is this is a very Alberta legislature uh, way of going <laughs> around it, and there is a story behind that. Treat me at Team Bates to get the Alberta legislature uh, story. Um. And, and it's fine, but I just leave this thinking that it was unnecessary. I mean, it is, but also if we're if we're holding to the tenets of chill soccer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the in twenty twenty, the year of the <laughs> whatever the hell just happened over the last eleven months. Uh, you know, I'm I'm all about it. I think it's perfect. I think MLS Cup should literally just be like a mug of beer or something. Like, whatever we can do to keep this train rolling. I think... Just... I think that I, I'm very happy, obviously. The Union were very excited. It was the first... There was their, their first trophy. Um, and they were thrilled about it. Um, of course, there was some schadenfreude... Uh, engaged in in the fact that Toronto had had thrown this holy terror at the beginning of the supporter shield thing, and ultimately yeah. were proven correct um, yeah. in terms of in, in terms of their objections to it. But I know that a lot of people felt that it was because they were being robbed as well, um, and it didn't and it didn't pan out that way. And there was a certain amount of feeling of that and. and I think if you want to start talking about sort of those two games, which were the games that I focused on in the first half of Decision Day, um, mm-hmm. my my annual trying to put as many games on the screens as possible, <laughs> cavalcade. Um, <laughs> the except Philadelphia, the Philadelphia game wasn't on in Canada for some reason. You couldn't find it. Um, yeah, but if you if you looked at it, TFC, we talked a little bit about you know. As the season wears on, the 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 focus is harder to achieve, and, and some weird stuff is happening. I don't think TFC have magically become a bad team overnight. No, but, no, 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 no. But no. compared to other teams that have had struggles in, in form dips and in in wacky things happen to them, they seem to be the ones hit pretty bad by it. Which is not unlike them, right? Like when we've seen Toronto last year when they had uh, a, a bit of an injury spell, we saw a big dip for them. And it's not that they all of a sudden, like you said, become a bad team. It's just that the system doesn't work quite as well. I think you could probably lump LAFC into that category as well. It's not that they play terribly without their star players. It's just that they don't play as well and the system doesn't work as well 
therefore it's easier to score against them. Um, that was a big win for the Red Bulls, who I really thought they took the game to Toronto, and mm-hmm. Toronto looked tired, but also the Red Bulls just seemed completely hell-bent on their destruction, and like they, <laughs> they were going to win that game some way, somehow. So I honestly, I don't, I mean, I think it probably helped that New, uh, Red Bulls had something to prove, and they're playing uh, MLS champions I, I think a lot of teams would have struggled to win that game against the Red Bulls, who just sort of took the bit between their teeth and didn't let go until the final whistle went. They started uh, they started off strong, and, and ultimately they ran up that lead on the the twenty fourth minute with the 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 goal from Tom Barlow as a header off of a, of a lovely little flick from Florian Velo. Um contested, yeah. but still pretty easy to take. And then uh, two minutes later, it's Brian White who. Um, that one was interesting to me because it's almost a cross coming across the box. And, and do you think the New York attacker in the center can't find it? Or do you think he dummies it? I, I wasn't quite sure either. I, I I was sort of paying attention to the three defenders that were facing away and also stopped running. Oh, my and God. just watched Brian White shoot. Like, <laughs> that was an interesting uh, approach to defense. I I had the, the numbers that I had there were... Oh, they, the score doesn't have it on the. I had Aro Jr. and uh, Omar Gonzalez were switched yeah. off for that particular one. Yeah. The the person in the center who is marking the guy who 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 could have could have had it. I'm I'm less stressed about that individual, but um, certainly the focus was all on that right hand side of the area and not on Brian White in acres of space. Yeah. Um, Endo and DeLeon combined in the second half to get TFC up uh, 2-1. But I I was, you know, I had my eyes on a bunch of things at that time. And um, I kind of felt that... So watching the game live, I, always did, I didn't always have the best time of it. But it really seemed that TFC was... Uh, like struggling to get things together and and, and to have that rhythm and, and feeling control of things. Like there wasn't there wasn't a lot that happened in that second half, but I didn't really feel other than other than the goal for TFC. Yeah, but I didn't really feel like they had a lot of success whipping things up either. No, it's true. I I thought Toronto put up a, a pretty good fight. I think around sort of the the fifty fifth minute, they sort of picked up their their pace a little bit, and you know they they got their goal. I mean, it was a strong f- finish for the Red Bulls that have had a, a pretty dismal season overall. Um, and yeah, just I think really wanted this one more to use, uh, oft used cliche. Um, the thing that I noticed. And I, I went back and looked at a couple of other TFC games to, to make sure I wasn't just like, am I making up a new narrative here? But Toronto does struggle against the pacier players in the league. So overall, I think Toronto is very strong defensively and as a team. But especially uh, on that right side that was so exploited, <laughs> it just seems like there's a lot of times where players get in behind the defense and then Toronto really struggles to reset. So for me, it's either don't let the players get in behind you or you need to be able to reset quickly and keep your line tight and everybody pick pick someone up. So, um, I mean, 
don't get me fooled. I think uh, I think Toronto is still very strong and is going to go far in the playoffs. Um, but definitely looking a lot shakier than they have in previous years, and and that for me is a, give a bit of a question mark about how they'll fare in the playoffs because I think there's a number of teams in the East that are just sharper and have a little bit more depth. Um, at the same time as Toronto was having those issues, it was kind of challenging. Maybe, maybe the lack of, of of if there was a feeling of a lack of, of passion or. or 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 pushing for the trophy in the second half, it is because Philadelphia had the lead um, heading into the half, and and if Philadelphia won, they they uh, they would have held the tiebreaker. I think Toronto, because of a couple results, but because especially that five um, that five nothing would have had to win by like twelve goals to to overcome them on on goal difference. Um, yeah. And that was, if this was a if this was a challenge of asserting that, you really felt, and it was stressed as well on commentary, that essentially Philadelphia were trying to not only uh, take the supporter shield but take it in style and and, yeah. and sort of have a real statement win. They could have they could have taken the shield on a loss. They could have taken the shield on a goal of straw or a, or a, or a one one draw. But it felt as though. Um, they were working really hard to have that statement win as a contending team that looked really challenging to uh, uh, to beat. Well, and that's what I like about Jim Curtin is that I, I think he's patient at the right times and he knows when to defend his team and you know allow for for dips in performance that are inevitable, especially in this season, but. A lot of teams could have been in the same position and just kind of phoned it in and said, well, let's save our energy for the playoffs. We don't want to risk any injuries. And as, yeah, as you said, it it just felt like Philadelphia came out and went, no, we're going to have this one. And certainly New England is no slouch in terms of an opponent. Um, A pretty nervy first half. Like I would say that sort of that style piece didn't come until the second half, Um, which I mean, I'm okay with. It was... uh, not a ton going on. Um, I, yeah, I don't think I have anything to note from the, you, the first you half. You can't, you can't, uh, your point about style is good when it comes to the goal. You can't exactly training ground an approach where the corner is whipped in. It is, it, it is bounces back out basically all the way to the corner. And then it's almost as a second corner is taken and the shot falls to Glesnes. Uh, who takes a shot. It's knotted onto the crossbar by Bedoya and the ball yeah. falls off the crossbar to Sergio Santos who puts it in. Those, yeah. that's not, <laughs> that's, that's not a training ground uh, move. That's not, yeah, that's not a set piece you can draw up off the corner. I don't think. Not really. No. And, but what, you know, Philadelphia is good at getting numbers in the box, having players in the right place. I do think it's a pretty fortunate bounce and, you know, Santos is not going to miss from that range, but yeah, I I I agree. I mean, I I I put like New England doesn't react fast enough here, but it's it's a difficult ball to deal with. I don't know many teams that are are really going to keep that one out of the back of the net unless a player just happens to be standing on the line in the right place. So I I think I can forgive New England for that one and and sort of shrug my shoulders <laughs> on the goal as well and be like, sure, absolutely, <laughs> uh, moving on. Um. 
uh, it seemed like it was a pretty open game at times, though. Like, there was um, not a ton of chances for New England, but the front three for Philadelphia is just connecting so well. They've got the pace, the precision, which is causing so many teams so many problems. Like, they're playing that, like, charge down the channel, whip the ball in with pace, get it onto somebody's foot, head, toe, knee, whatever. But Philadelphia is just better at actually finishing those opportunities. Um, it's not a particularly complicated style of play. Like I think it's pretty easy to tell what Philadelphia is going to do on their approach play. Um, and then Corey Burke, who's finally back in the team. I think he's been back maybe for a couple of weeks. But mm-hmm. um, he gets on the end of just uh, another great cross in. Matt Turner has no chance. I think it's unfortunate... Matt Turner's been so fantastic for New England this year and really had no chance on either goal. Great ball from um, Jose Martinez there. Yes. Um, yeah, Martinez had a hell of a game too. He he was everywhere causing tons of problems. Um, and I thought New England looked okay. Like not, They were definitely dominated. Um, but the precision of Philadelphia uh, is, is really a thing to behold and it's going to be an interesting one in the East. This was in the East um, for those final two playoff spots. Um, there were a, We came into Decision Day with a, a total of five teams that could qualify for them. Um, in, with the exception of, of D.C. Montreal, which we can get to. Um, a lot of them were going up against uh, teams outside of that five. Uh, and, yeah. and sort of also in that position of having to sort of make their case. Um, I felt that uh, it was unfortunate for Atlanta against Columbus. I think Columbus has been uh, has been great. And, and they, anyone that is not involved in the shield race or in the, the playoff race, these games are kind of mm. just like it's the, the, the soccer equivalent of a go-home wrestling show. I think, especially right. especially this year compared to some years, you might find teams sort of pumping the gas at this point. But it really feels, especially with that break, the teams are thinking, I want to look good going into the playoffs, given that there are there are so many variables involved. I want to make form if uh, if I'm one of these teams uh, yep. as 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 much in my favor as I can. And Columbus. In a in a game that literally broke YouTube, while well, I tried to review it, um, <laughs> Columbus beat Atlanta two one, uh, and we start here with a a chance in an Atlanta penalty. Gallagher is alone on the keeper and goes down. Did he slip? Var says no penalty, um, but it's uh, Zella Ryan on the other end who gets the first goal. He gets the ball and he cuts in. Uh, it's just such a good goal. And Valenzuela uh, lets Zardes loose, who who sort of runs the ball on on the left in on the left side in a three on two, and uh, and gets the shot away for the second goal. There is a penalty. Uh, there is a penalty for Atlanta after all, so they do uh, they do get some uh, some reprieve, but they weren't able to get the result. No, and I mean. Yeah, so a well-taken PK, I think, is uh, Moreno, who who's, scores that one. I felt like Room, who's been quite good for Columbus and obviously had, had big shoes to fill, um, 
he just, he just commits really early on this penalty. Like he's just diving right as <laughs> Moreno approaches the ball. Um, so I, th- I think, you know, it maybe could have done a, a little bit better there. Then you had Escobar being sent off late. Really, really didn't want to go off the pitch. Apparently he came back after the final whistle as well to come back onto the pitch Uh-oh. to have a word to the referee. Uh-oh. So you can't do that. Not that it matters because they're out and the season's done for them. But I imagine a little bit of his paycheck will be going to the MLS coffers. <laughs> um, and, and just really, to me, summarized the like banal mediocrity of Atlanta this year. And I mean, I know a lot of people would be like, they've just been terrible, but they've just been quietly not quite good and not particularly interesting. It's not even that they've been terrible. It's just that it's like the, the systems never quite get going, you know, (laughs) I, I think Columbus was always favorites to win this game, but at no point did it really feel like Atlanta had much of a way into this match. Um, even with the penalty, it, it just always feels like they can only get into second gear and then they're, they're struggling. I think that makes a lot of sense. If you look at the lineup and you look at the results, it's aggressively medium. There are, there are players who have, there are players who have wildly inconsistent games, even in one game that they do. They, uh, we'll talk about somebody who, you know, uh, saves a goal, lets in a goal or scores a goal and and causes a, uh, and, and causes a goal. Uh, against um, and then there are just you can't say bad except for the guy that got sent off but you can't say you like you can't always say that like you know they were a mess or they were a shambles but it's just just nothing of interest yeah well and, and part of it for me is just they, they struggle so much playing out of the back I mean they shipped all their best defenders that won them their trophies <laughs> there's there's nothing left of that back line and it and it shows because it's it's not that they're terrible and they're conceding goal after goal after goal I know there's been some rough games this year but you know they haven't had they haven't been earthquakes bad defending but it just feels like that became so much a part of their successful identity was playing out of the back defenders who could not just win tackles and uh, prevent crosses coming in, but also win it and then transition the ball upfield. But a team like Atlanta that just used to be coming at you from all angles, it takes them an age to even get to the halfway line. It's just, it's such slow build-up play that teams have time to react and readjust. And, you know, I, I didn't look at it, but I think a good number of Atlanta's goals have come from like penalties and set pieces this year, which is one of the few things that they've done kind of right. But I, I still don't think this is a team where you need to throw everything out. I feel like a roster overhaul for sure um, in some key areas, but I, I don't think that they're actually that far away from the final product in terms of personnel, <laughs> in terms of tactics. Um, and, you know, transition play and things like that, I think they've got their work cut out for them. Blank slate for whoever is going to come in there in that uh, in that coaching role. I, I, yeah. I don't think they've they've filled that uh, in a permanent no, fashion. No, no. Um, a team that came in, uh, possession is nine-tenths of the law. And Chicago Fire <laughs> uh, came in here with possession of one of the two uh, playoff spots. Um, and they were hoping to get a result 
against New York City. Uh, Spoilers. Lots happened in the game. <laughs> I sure did. I learned that Chicago's uh, Chicago's goal replays are sponsored by Chicago Finishing, which is amusing to me. <laughs> um, I like that. But it was a it was a wild four three win for uh, New York City um, away in the Windy City. Uh, this is something that must really be frustrating for Chicago because they've had an up and down year. But um, if you look at the idea that they uh, they came all the way back from being two nothing down and then three one down to tie and then mm-hmm. and then can't pull out the result at a time they really need it. Um, that is that must be massively frustrating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly bright spots to to the game for Chicago, and maybe a little bit more fight than we've seen from them. Although we've talked about how how they haven't been completely down and out through much of the season. I mean, ultimately this there's a really poor square ball that comes into the box from a Chicago defender. Castellanos gets on the end of it, pounces on it, scores. That's the winner. It's Navarro. It's Navarro with a back pass that looks like it's an attacking pass. Which it essentially becomes. And like, it happens. But we're late into the game. It's tied. Castellanos is on the pitch and somewhat near you. That's a problem. Boot it up the line kick it out there's three or four other simple moves here that don't include a hail mary cross back to your goalkeeper when you have uh an attacking player (laughs) nearby there's just and like i've made a lot of boneheaded moves in my short and illustrious (laughs) soccer career and this is the kind of move i might make but like it, it just it it's unfortunate because for me it summarizes chicago fire this year is that even when they can do absolutely everything right and score goals, it's down to an individual error like this that loses them everything. And it's just happened again. You look at the and again, you look at the three goals from the fire, and they're all um, great finish, great Chicago finishing on yep. uh, on on good balls forward from from it's Mihailovic for Barrett, Mihailovic. Cross stopped, but Frankowski finds it. Sekulich for Frankowski for the uh, the Chicago third goal. Like everything working there with with uh, the Chicago attack. In terms of like what's happening for New York City, it's like uh, a Callens Callens head uh, heads it in on target and it's stopped by the keeper, but it tr- uh, trickles in. Gary Mackay Stevens beats the keeper on the wing. And somehow, with his back to the goal at the far edge of the six-yard box... I almost sent you a message yesterday to be like, there's a goal, and you're going to know it when you see it, that you're just going to think, how? How did that ball go in? It's just like, what? He's, he's like, one more step, and he's like behind the goalkeeper on the line. Mm-hmm. And somehow manages to, to squeak it in. And I mean, like Bobby Shuttleworth, he's been not amazing at his uh, the teams he's traveled around MLS with, but I, I do feel like he's been pretty solid with Chicago. I mean, I feel like he's played uh, as good a soccer this year as he's played in his career. But he 
kind of still looked a bit shaky in this game. You know, I, I nerves must have been there um, for everyone. But, I mean, again, it's... As a unit, they're, like, not... The fire aren't bad. <laughs> but individually... It's just these little moments, these little decisions at key times that just comes back to shoot them in the foot. And I, I agree to your initial point. They just, they must be immensely frustrated with themselves, not just in this game, but in this season where uh, it's, you know, largely unforced errors where they're just handing games to opponents. What a, in terms of enjoyability though, the, the idea that you have three goals in that, or you get six goals first half is always quite the, Quite the thing to put on. Um, Absolutely. A team that did not have possession of a playoff spot at the beginning as, as this all started was Inter-Miami, the expansion the expansion side, going against uh, FC Cincinnati uh, in the pelting rain. Finds two goals to there CC's There was some precipitation. Uh, and is able to, uh, to, after what I think you can, you can term... It's a challenging year for everyone, uh, but I, I think you could you can definitely think that it has been harder than than Miami thought it might be. Um, going in, going in, and they uh, they have been able to, however, pull out the result in this expanded playoffs uh, year and uh, and make it into the competition. Yeah, and and it's good for them, and I'm and I'm I'm happy to see it. I felt like. Yeah, it's been just an unlucky year. You know, their DPs have, I think, an overall adjusted well, but certainly not always been on the same page and, and not quite um, where they will likely be next year. Um, but I, I think it was a strong performance from Miami. Um, a, a bit of a shrug the shoulders for, for Cincinnati, but, um, you know, the, the Mikey Ambrose goal... <laughs> that he's just burying from distance to me is is a uh, kind of sums up this game where Miami's just like look we're going for it we're just really want to win just find a way I don't care like with Miami I feel like it's the the system is there but it almost doesn't matter at points it's kind of just everybody out there running around um, and positions don't seem to matter as much but when they get into when they can play their open attacking style it can certainly come off and um Ambrose has, I think, been as good as anybody on this team this year. That goal was the epitome of put your laces through it in terms of somebody who just, just a ninety degree angle or just no, no, uh, just completely perpendicular to the ball, just, just straight up and down motion. Yeah. Um, Perez uh, also Perez has this uh, this this header. I nods a, a header over in the. Keeper jumps late, but he can't find it, and that feels like a range. That feels like a a precipitation based special. Limit. Very, yeah, very well could have been. Um, was Miami's goalkeeper wearing a hat? I didn't notice. When I, I mean, like, just hold on. We got... I can I can fill some time while you look it up. But uh, he's he's wearing a baseball hat at some point, which I am one hundred percent here for. Um. The uh, the the Tottenham keeper Robinson used to wear a baseball cap to keep the sun out of his eyes. 
Well, yeah, which is fine. Uh, there wasn't a ton of sun to contend with on the day. Um, anyway, but still, a gal from should, Cincinnati scores. Should the should the uh, uh, should the keeper? If it's raining like this. Should the keeper get to wear a bucket hat? Well, this is the thing. I was like, okay, it's pour. It is pouring rain, but is the hat helping? Like. I think it I would. Know. Especially it would as a the... keeper, I'm like, it's that. It's not that hard to just like wipe an arm across. But you know, maybe not. Well, I mean, like, um, like the way that it looked, um, it really seems as though um, it really seems as though like the jersey is also soaked. So what yeah. are you gonna do? What are you gonna do if you're you're in minute seventy four of this game and you go to try and. Uh, I am. That's true. What are you wiping your face with? You're soaking. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to wipe my face with water. That's <laughs> that's going to be my way out of this one. I'm just thinking, like, look, if you're going to add accessories, goggles, man, come on. I'm not seeing a photo of John McCarthy's Scuba hat, mask. but I am seeing tweets suggesting that the hat was there. You are correct yeah. uh, about the hat. Anyway, um, uh, it ends 2-1 two, two for Miami and Cincinnati promptly sack just about two-thirds of the team about 24 hours later. Miami uh, Miami does give them um, shoot themselves in the foot a little bit with Andre Reyes sent off. Um, yeah. They're, uh, yeah, they're he'll be out. On defense, which is, uh, which is a challenge. If you squeak yourself into the playoffs, then you don't have your captain uh, defender. Uh, playing well, I guess it's a it's a play in, so they're not going to be playing the they're not going to be playing the supporter shield winners in the first round. But um, rough <laughs> overall, not amazing. Cincinnati, by the way, uh, those uh, Spencer Ritchie is gone, uh, Kendall Waston is gone, Nick Hagland is out of contract but negotiating. Um, Greg Garza, you mentioned uh, defenders that left Atlanta, uh, is gone. That's that's one that I feel like people are probably going to be after. Yeah, I mean, this one's difficult because I, I, it's really hard to me to judge a defender based on the performance of the rest of the back line. And I don't think Garza had a ton of help when he needed it. And he's also been not very good for Cincinnati. <laughs> I don't know, given... Everything that team has gone through and the personnel. I don't know how you be good for Cincinnati, but it's not particularly surprising to me that they're just wholesale saying, all right, whatever, we're going to start again. Um, To the note about the sending off, it is going to be difficult because their play-in game is against Nashville. And Nashville has come into form at a very good time. They've been very good defensively all season, of course. Now they're scoring goals. You know, I think it was a, a good win from Miami, and I don't know how far they're going to make it into the playoffs. If they, uh, yeah, if they, <laughs> they, they're a team that's so good that not only they're, uh, not only do they have their center forwards in attack, they have their center forwards in the center of defense in Walker Zimmerman. Uh So you're going to have <laughs> some, you're going to have some issues contending with that. Absolutely. In uh, the 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 team that started it the furthest down here. Was DC United going up against Montreal? One of the other teams that were that occupied the playoff spots heading into the weekend. Um, 
And this was a uh, an interesting one. This is one where where I think DC showed themselves like like showed had a great showing, um, yeah. but it was Montreal who came away with the three two away win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a bit of a, a strange game. Um, I put here Montreal just continues to have one of the softest defenses in the East. <laughs> DC found the way through, not totally surprisingly. Um, I have no idea how Kyoto slipped that ball through the defense. <laughs> but neither team seemed terribly fussed with marking in the box in this game. Um yeah, it's DC gets in. There's three players surrounding Ola Kamara. He scores. Then Wanyama comes back and levels for Montreal. Great header. Great header. Um, then Kyoto scores, but the play is called back for uh, a really poor challenge from Piet on Ariola. Um, I'm not sure exactly when it happened. And I have to go look back at the timestamps, but I thought it happened before the goal, but the goal stands. I think even though they go back and red card Piet. Oh, maybe. But I'd have to. I yeah, I'd really have to go back. I didn't. I, mean, I didn't. It either happened in the run up play or it happened just after. This is another one I had the Miami game and this and Toronto on at the same time, and I uh... <laughs> apparently so did VAR. <laughs> and uh, well, yes, this this the the Piet sending off and the Andre Reyes sending off are not that different. Um, in terms of just being like, why did you do this? Why yeah, well, this I mean, at least from Piet, like as soon as he does it, he holds up his hands. Like he he knows that it's not a great challenge. I don't know that he's necessarily expecting to get sent off. But I think the Piet, I think the red are diff- I think they're different plays because the goal is at eighty eight and the reds at ninety plus one, and there was a bunch of other okay, stuff. Okay, so happened. it must have been just after it. But although that's when they give out the red, anyway. Well, well doesn't really matter i just thought that if that play if that foul took place before the goal it would make sense that you would also strike off the goal now but no the goals are okay yeah so the goals on yeah there are a couple of there are a couple of plays between the goal and between the red card like right. the the red card comes on uh a free kick ariel is being given a free kick and gets the free kick Gotcha. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I'll 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 hold on. But this I'm... is you. You not only have um, it's Kyoto uh, getting the. Oh, it's Toy who sends it to Kyoto. I had it in my notes the other way around, uh, for that final goal. I also thought uh, it was so. One thing that was so important here, I think, also maybe off that same free kick, uh, something I want to call the Diop chop. Happens as Clement Diop is comes to challenge a ball that must be the like the final the final uh, one of the final plays of the game, and he just brings down this what seems like a double axe handle. Whatever, whatever it takes. <laughs> I mean, it was for me. It was it was a good fight from DC, um, and I, I think it was important for for them and the fans to to really have a, a good showing, and I think. I know, obviously they came close, but the DC really didn't look good enough to be in the playoffs, so they're not. I don't really think Montreal's looked good enough to be in the playoffs. Either, uh, but here we are. Well, this they're is in. the year. This is the year where where uh, anything anything can happen. I feel that the the one 
when you were talking about sort of like the, the, the Montreal defensive issue, one that I wanted to call out was that Kamara goal. Because I feel like it happens because three guys are tracking Frederick Briand. Yeah. And then the Kamara gets behind him and heads home just because they don't think... They, like, Kamara's not a tall guy to be doing that in the in the box. No, and also, like, credit to him. He's in a tight space and beats three defenders. So it's a great goal from him. Um, and we certainly know he's he's good at making good goals look easy. But it it reminds me, uh, kind of of the the play, some of the plays in the Portland LAFC game when we get to it, that you've got when you send three defenders in to cover somebody like Vela, and then you inadvertently leave the rest of the team open, and how it it can really work against you to send commit so many players to just marking one person. Um, so not too terribly surprising that they found their way through. Uh, for the. The the only team seemingly the only game seemingly to lack stakes in the Eastern Conference in terms of a of a trophy or playoff qualification um, was Orlando Nashville, but it really also felt that both teams were trying to prove something on their own. Um, Daryl DK at the top corner of the box unleashes a strike, uh, but it is I think yeah, and that that is. Uh, that's the first goal, and then Lovitz gets the second. Yes, I believe that is correct. Yeah, DK scores four minutes in. three minutes into the three. game. Yes, four. Yes, whatever. Three, four minutes in. Whatever the one you said. Um, <laughs> do you ever just find a note to yourself that's not really meant for the air, and then you read it, and you're just like, ah, <laughs> just <laughs> Lovitz scores for Nashville ten minutes later. Hi, Brian Rowe. (laughs) Always good to see a former white cap playing. Uh, Poor guy just having goals bashed past him in this. Nani does Nani things and scores a free kick and makes it 2-1 Orlando. Making the best of the the game he won, he he successfully appealed to allow himself to take part in this game and and made a show of it. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a fantastic game. And that's that's what I, I like to see. I mean, obviously it's Nani, so you don't expect differently. But to have your red card rescinded and then show up and play and really give an honest account for yourself, I, I think is great. Um, I was wondering why they spent so much time on the highlights reel here showing Mukhtar coming in for Nashville. And then I realized it's kind of essential to the story because I think his first touch he scores. Yeah, the headed goal on the 88th minute. And the, yeah, and then Cadiz heads one, um, almost standing on the end line in in goal, and uh, Nashville are able to to steal this one away from Orlando. As you said, kind of no stakes. Both teams are in the playoffs, and I believe. Oh yeah, of course we already said Nashville's playing Inter Miami first. Orlando is going to be facing New York City FC. I'm very interested in that one. Two very different teams. Um, two teams with varying form over the year, two teams with a lot of impact players. This is one that I'm, I, I think I'm going to have circled in the calendar and really be watching for uh, a great performance. This is not one I think that, uh, unless it knocks them into this this uh, this play in morass, which it might do. Um, yeah, I think that is tr- that is true. So they do actually. The Nashville did. Um, 
Nashville actually somehow dropped a place as part of this result where Orlando stayed where they were. Um, but they proved that they could, you know, fight and get those results. I'm sure this is, a, you know, you want to talk about expansion teams that have had tough times as part of the year. Um, mm-hmm. To see to see both of those teams make it after the last couple of, of after some of the recent experience of expansion teams is is you know fun and good i say oh they they weirdly nashville weirdly dropped down a place because the red bulls won which mm. tied them for points mm. and points per game and i don't know what the tiebreaker was because Red Bulls have minus two goal difference. Who can say? I think it had something to do with the Red Bulls. Maybe wins. <laughs> I think wins. Let's say wins. Um, yeah. In the Western Conference, all the playoff spots are, are sealed up. Um, there is the the, the conference, the, the, the Western Conference championship spots, but I think these are all... Um, these are all statement games. These are all games to... to to build form and to build yeah. momentum heading into the playoffs in the, the West. Absolutely. Um, and one of these, the 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 team that that took it and got the the number one spot in the Western Conference uh, in one of your favorite types of games. Yes, I you mentioned this, didn't you? Wasn't this what you asked for? You, I think you asked for this last week. I did, and the gods delivered. <laughs> oh, I love me! I love me a snow match. Snow game, I love it. Snow game. It was <laughs> wild. And this game sucked. Like, <laughs> I, like as, not as a spectacle, but as a game to play. I have nothing but sympathy for every player and staff member involved in this game because it was stupid at some points. I loved it. I loved every second of it. Um. Sporting Kansas City just, like, really seemed to embrace the snow game mentality, which I really appreciated, and just looked like they were having fun. Like, they kind of looked like they'd showed up to, like, somebody's barbecue and somebody invited them to play a game of soccer, and they are like, that's stupid. Sure, let's give it a shot. The um, the, the thing about it, snow games, we, we love them for the – well, you could say why you, th- you love them, but I would say one of the whimsy and – and just something different are are big reasons, but in terms of like finishing quality and technicality, <laughs> out of the window. Look, we all know the best part is watching them go around with leaf blowers and blow off the lines. So <laughs> you have these grass colored lines in and amongst the the white um, canvas that becomes the pitch. But the ball just is dragging so much in the snow for much of the first half. I mean, it looks like it actually, even though it starts snowing more, it. I mean, whether the snow becomes packed down or I, I don't know, but the, the ball does start to move a little bit easier. I think for packed. The first it half, feels, like, in that second half, you're looking at like centimeters. You could, I'm thinking you could, uh, you could ski on that if you wanted. Yeah, and I mean, and I think the ball sort of does. I'm not sure if that was a soccer ball or just a snowball that had developed over time. <laughs> it's going to um, become a snowman at the end of the, the end of all this. <laughs> I like to, the, but it's there's an early chance where uh, Justin Merrim uh, sends a ball in that seems like it stalls in the snow for Baird, like it, like yeah, like, like it, 
the chance comes from the ball stalling and just kind of sitting there. <laughs> it's like the it's like when you say a player serves it on a dime, except it it it's magnetic to the dime. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, uh, it and it's it's hard, right? I mean, and I feel RSL will feel a little bit hard done by to to lose this game at home, but. I mean, we know RSL's strength is uh, uh, being quick and hitting teams on the counterattack. Well, that was always going to be pretty difficult in these conditions. Um, it, Kyrie Shelton scores. Um, it looks like it kind of came off someone's leg. It's very hard to even see the goal happen. Did they just run out of orange balls? Is that not a thing that we used to do when it's a snow they game? Like, I'm like all bit, for the chaos. I saw them. They, they played with an orange ball the whole way through. Uh, one of the things that the commentators were discussing is that they thought that the ball is picking up snow. Right. But it is an orange. It, I don't know if they stop, but certainly in the I noticed at least in the second half they had one. So I'm pretty sure okay. they had one. I don't think they stopped using one, and I did see them use one later. Well, if that is true, then that ball was certainly covered in snow, because there's times where it, you just cannot see it. Also, could have been um, just the camera's not picking it that up. That one really looked like an old... There's so much foreground snow. That one really looked like an old goal to me, but Kyrie Shelton has the, has the credit for it. But who seals the deal? Who makes it so? Who scores the winning did goal you know that, that you puts can, Sporting Kansas City did, at the did top? Did you know that for a very reasonable down payment, you can purchase a ski chalet on Hurtado Island? <laughs> it's got mountains. It's got snow. It's got sun. It's got surf. Hurtado Island. Selling now. Can I hit you with just a really ridiculous stat that means nothing except to you and me? Please. But, I mean, maybe someone else. Eric Hurtado has five goals in 376 minutes this year, which is excellent off-the-bench production. Cavallini has six goals with 1,457 uh, I minutes. thought that might come up. <laughs> I thought that might come up. And uh, you know I love comparing apples and oranges, but when you're looking at strikers and when you're looking at white cap strikers and then you're thinking about salaries, I, I mean... It's been a hell of a year, and I don't think the stat means anything. I just think it's kind of funny that in uh, fewer than a third of the minutes, Hurtado has almost the same production rate. And it comes from absolute precision on his goals. Like, his goals are have been incredible this year. And the, the, the old Hurtado couldn't hit a barn door adage has suddenly become Hurtado can sneak it through from seemingly any angle. Which is great. I mean, like, ultimately, that's something that I think is, like, like good to see. It's always, yes. it's always hard when you see a situation like this to, to, to remember back the mindset of, like, well, even well-intentioned people could understand why people were in that um, sort of had those frustrations when he was in with, with the Whitecaps. But it is Absolutely. always great to see the player make the case for themselves and and to suggest, maybe I was underappreciated. Maybe, you know, like yeah. you have a team well, that and, is and, able to get exactly think, what they need out of them. And in Hurtado's case, I think also, like, take it on board is a bit of a challenge as well, right? Like, it's... 
I, I'm not for at all suggesting Hurtado shouldn't have moved on from the Whitecaps when he did. I just think it's funny. It's funny. Um, we can talk about the second half of that equation later, but I'm certainly, I'm yeah. always, I'm always thrilled when I see this just a stunner of a goal from Eric Hurtado. Well, in terms of goals per minute as well, like he's got to be up there with that production. Do you get the um, Do you get the golden? Because we now have it that it's points per game instead of points in the Western Conference. Is it points per minute for the Golden Boot? Can you Can you win <laughs> Can you so. win the Golden Boot with the highest uh, the highest uh, ratio of, of of goals per game? I do believe it is still the good old fashioned. You just got to get the most goals if you, in the if you net. do it goals per minute i bet hurtado has the high as the highest of anyone to get five i will start the petition petition as soon as we stop recording <laughs> um yeah it's it's overall this game is like the rsl chances happen um but it, it yeah I, my my main point was just it looked like sporting kansas city was having fun winning the conference um and playing in the snow and it's great great for them um skc had such a disappointing last year year last year that just felt like it nothing could go their way properly and to see them just pick up where they left off this year and and have the system work have the players perform um is great and it it keeps things really interesting in the west because they look as good as anyone uh seattle san jose wasn't quite uh the the five one but it was a four one win um, and, and I don't necessarily think that San Jose looked as bad as they looked back then, but they certainly got their the doors blown off them. Yeah, I mean, Marcos Lopez seemed to be involved in just about every play in this game. He scored uh, a really great free kick from just outside the box and beats uh, Stefan. Not Stefan, sorry. St- Stefan Fry. Um, and then... He is very near on another chance, and then he scores an own goal at the end. So Marcos Lopez, if he's if he's there, is gonna show up. We we just don't know where. One of those players, like I said, is just on all parts of the equation. Um, the you saw a, another part of another you know example of Seattle's uh, three pronged approach. You had. Um, you had a, a, a free kick caught at the edge of the crowd that Ladero was able to run up and take. You had Rui Diaz taking a shot at the top of the area that takes one or two deflections to get in. And you have uh, Jordan Morris chipping Marchinkowski um, for the third normal goal of, of Seattle's four. Yeah, I mean, the the sort of the note for me about this game for Seattle is I believe Gustav Svensson had already joined the international team um, and so was away. But I thought Christian Roldan did a really great job. I mean, he rides a lot of challenges in this game. I think there's a lot of fouls that could have gone Seattle's way if Roldan fell. But he, he, cho- he chooses to stand up, and that was really key on the Rui Diaz goal. Um, one of the most interesting ones for me in terms of like who it helps and who it hinders is this LAFC-Portland game. Because somehow... Mm-hmm. This is, you know, if you want to talk about having a, uh, if you want to talk about leaving a good impression heading into the playoffs, uh, 
This is a game where Portland doesn't get a shot on goal until the 80th minute. And somehow <laughs> it somehow yeah. ends the game feeling like the more buoyed team because they're able to get they're able to to even and equalize. You have uh 5 minutes in LA uh Latif Blessing picks Williamson's pocket and his shot rebounds for Carlos Vela who um who is eager to get some some goals on the board and um ultimately Portland play one of those games where they they there were certainly attempts there were more uh, attempts off target in the second half than in the first um mm-hmm. they have a, a by more do you mean more than zero <laughs> yes Rossi uh Rossi hits the post I think twice and Vela hits the crossbar yeah. As well, you have, uh, uh, I said, LA had one of the most, most of the interesting things in the first half. Um, and it's the Valeri shot on 80 that's the first shot on target for Portland. So they let, they let LA go and LA could have really gone with, with some of the chances that they had hit the post. Um, but somehow this feels like Portland's, this feels like a, a, a a moral victory for Portland, despite the fact that it was L.A. who spent most of the game uh, on the offensive. Yeah, you know, I, I think that Portland did an, an okay job of um, absorbing the pressure. I think they got really lucky on a number of those those shots they hit the post. Um, Viafania, I feel like he's not done a lot this season, but he, he has looked okay overall. He gets his first goal in five years to tie things up. So, and I agree, like, I think the momentum was probably going Portland's way. The concern for me about Portland is just um, really struggling to play out of their own half and play mm. out of pressure. Mm. That they, It's not that they're bad at defending. I, I like the night, how nice and compact they get, but it does also mean they get to these spells in games like this one where it's 15, 20 minutes of target practice from the other team. And... It, it, it kind of reminds me of points of um, Vancouver's game as well, where it's just like, it's great to be able to absorb the pressure, but you really don't want to be giving too many invitations to teams like LAFC. And we've seen the games where Portland's been punished this year. This has really, really hurt them. So um, I've, I've kind of quietly become a bit of a Timbers fan this year. I really like the team. I like, I like their roster. I think they've got some a great mix of older talent and, and younger talent and great developing players, but the the overall product and this inability to quickly get out of their own half um, or to play out of pressure when it's there I think is going to stall some of their playoff hopes. I, I've, you know, long t- like said, as much as people lean on the, 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 the scripts of sporting rivalry, it's like, who do you know, who do you know better than your uh... Who do you who do you know yeah. brother, better than the brothers and sisters you fight with all the time? And <laughs> ultimately, that's kind of what it feels like. And of course, Portland has hosted the Whitecaps, and as weird as that situation is, man, it is there is a feeling of saying, "Well, thanks, thanks, folks." I had a friend. I have a friend in Portland who says we walked by the stadium and we saw uh, Vancouver San Jose. So of course, we uh, cheered for Vancouver like crazy while we were walking by, and I appreciated that. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's a, I think there's a, a good relationship between the Timbers 
fans and the the White Caps fans, and we can mutually bond over hating Seattle, who's better than both of us. Um, he, the, I wrote it. This is this Portland LAFC game is a complex way to lead into a playoff game because I thought it was being suggested on commentary that that Portland and LAFC were going to meet in the first round after this. Um, yeah, yeah. That was not particularly clear, was it? In fact, they are going to face against, they are going to face off against Dallas, who are themselves coming off of a three nothing loss to Minnesota. Right. Um which is great and that a great showing for that them. Feels like it could go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the the Minnesota game against Dallas was just <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, it's great to see Minnesota finishing in strong form. Um, Kevin Molino gets his goal 17 minutes in. Um, and then Molino again. I just... Dallas confounds me, you know? I, th- I thought they really were going to bring a little bit more to this and not to take anything away from how good the Loons have been, but... I, I I was left feeling disappointed by Dallas, and for a team at points this season that's looked really good, I don't think this is a good way to start off the playoffs. Um, I, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how they square up against Portland. You have uh, Barrios chips the keeper, but Coleman uh, keeps it off the line uh, for Minnesota. Do you have also that? That's a chance for Dallas, as is uh, I believe Santos hits the bar as well, um, and so there you you saw Dallas be dangerous, but certainly um, Minnesota is the one that comes off looking real, real strong. Um, Molino in great form, brilliant cutback for yeah. Reynoso who scored that second. Oh right, yeah, it was Reynoso's second. The second Molino goal comes later. Mm-hmm. Dallas got and two. I'm... Dallas hit the Dallas hit the frame twice, actually. Right. So it's like that's the you can't you can't you know take every what it could have should have, but they the if if you wonder what happened to the Dallas that beat Houston, well, they were also playing Houston, but it's also it not. Uh, or are Houston's out? Right, I'm. I'm. Oh, Houston's so out. Don't worry, I'm, we'll get to them. Now. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm justified in 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 that dig on Houston, right? Yes, 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 yes. Always. Um. And that means Minnesota is going to be facing the Colorado Rapids in the first round, mm-hmm. which is a super interesting matchup. Who are somehow not the. Uh, the team that played the snow game for once in their lives, probably because they were in Houston. If they were in Colorado, that might've been it. Um, can, before we dive into that game, can I just cast your mind back to last week? Yes. What, what was that thing that I said about the being the key difference maker for Colorado? Do you, do you recall? Uh, I mentioned, I mentioned a player that I thought, Although Colorado's been a great team, there was one player in particular that I really thought was the difference maker for them. You were talking about uh, Kellen Acosta. I was not. I was talking about Diego Rubio. Diego Rubio! Oh. <laughs> it's all right. 
I, um, I looked at the 11 and I made, a, <laughs> I made an educated guess. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. You guessed. Uh, like, okay. There's really not much in this game, especially the first half. It's just, like, I think Colorado had done quite a bit of squad rotation. Um, and I, th- I think both teams kind of just held on. Um, then Namli comes on and then scores this rebound that comes off of Shinyashiki's stop shot. Um, Houston draws level through Minotas, but it's offside. Houston starts pushing more. Minotas finally does score for real this time. Um, Abubakar just kind of getting caught flat-footed. He's just... Abubakar's so good in the air and so good positionally at times, but just very passive on these, like, 1v1 situations in the box. Like, just... He's there. He's tracking him. He doesn't get a foot in. Doesn't get tight enough. Minota scores. Um, the rebound gets a rebound later gets caught up in his feet. And I think like yeah. in the ninety first minute, dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Like just a little bit too shaky for that that veteran defender. Um, and then Houston almost has another goal to to go ahead. But then Diego Rubio yeah! just takes the ball for a walk, and I'm still not sure how Houston somehow simultaneously manages to overcommit and undercommit. But Rubio just like switch does a very simple little switch of feet, cuts in, curling low ball in, makes it look so so easy. Colorado take all three points. They look great right now. I think that you're you're absolutely right that Minnesota Colorado is going to be very interesting because it's two teams that have have really been uh, building great form, um, uh, an ability to rely on a wide amount of attackers, um, but to still have mm-hmm. their their key atta- attackers in Colorado in in, um, in Shinyashiki and Rubio uh, be. Uh, in in great form as well, and uh, and they're going to have a very that's going to be a very interesting matchup. It is, and and partly interesting because they're just such different teams. Like you said, they've both got depth, but they have completely different styles of play. I think Minnesota, you've got to say, is the defensively stronger team. Um, I would agree. But Colorado, when they get the momentum going and are scoring goals. Uh, we've shown don't just put up a good fight anymore. They're they're actually able to play with some of the best of them. So th- this is another playoff matchup that I just am like I d- <laughs> I don't know, but I will watch. <laughs> um, Not going to call it either way. The uh, the final Western game is the uh, the 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 we're doing our best classic between. <laughs> Vancouver Whitecaps and LA Galaxy. Um, neither team qualified. Uh, Vancouver's first nope. win of the season uh, back before COVID. The bright spot that made us feel uh, hope and warmth in our hearts was a win against LA. And uh, and that's how it ends as well uh, with a 3 nothing result. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good. It's the good. It's the right result. Um, for me, it was actually it was kind of frustrating watching the game, and I was a bit frustrated after too. That like, 
there's three or four games this season where the Whitecaps needed to have done this. Mm. And one of them was against the Galaxy recently. Mm. Uh, there's a game against San Jose as well. I think there was a, one or two more. But you have to think, like, there's at least three games where they really they should have won. They went in with all the right things, and it just fell apart, and then they lost all three points. That you think if you take even just three of those opportunities and they played the way they played this game with just more focus and a little bit more professionalism to like keep the go- keep the ball and like see the entire game through they could have made it into a pretty comfortable playoff position and I don't really care because this year's just been so weird and it's been particularly weird for the Whitecaps and challenging and I think it's completely fair and fine to just say Let's just give everybody a pass. Let's just try again next year and see if things aren't crazy weird. But it is really frustrating to think if they had just done this kind of performance that wasn't electric. Like, this was not them playing their best. It was just them playing their way consistently for 90 minutes. You have to have think they could have picked up nine more points or even six and had a, a chance of making it into the playoffs. But it's a great performance that ultimately means almost nothing. <laughs> I uh, The one thing that you have to say, and I'm not, this is going to be a bummer thing to say because Uh-oh. I'm not trying to take the credit away. You know, the galaxy still have very dangerous players. Um, but it, you have Catalini scores that earlier goal and then Araujo gets sent off. And then uh, Montero scores to make it two nothing right afterwards. So, it's not that these are the only ways that the Whitecaps have won. Obviously, they've had wins that aren't in red cards. But mm. many of the games in which the Whitecaps have looked particularly good are in games in which they're playing against a 10-man side or a side that is not That's true. giving them trouble which is or, still actually, or, that... or, 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 or as able to hinder their game plan. And that's actually relatively new as well, because they have historically struggled when they go up a man. <laughs> it's true. And we seem to somehow play better when we're down a man. But, uh, yeah, no, you're you're right. Um, it And that's, again, this is what makes it kind of frustrating, is it's like, well, there were other opportunities. There were other games where you were up a man. There were other games where you were playing a team that had just come off of, like, back-to-back major losses. Um where was this kind of commitment to the style of play and to holding the ball up um, and just keeping switched on? And I, I know there's a ton of answers to that that question, but it, it's a bit like I, w- I really had the sense of watching this game like, wow, if we had just done this a couple more times, we could be having a very different conversation about the Whitecaps, but here we are. There are many ways to take it, and 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 certainly part of it has been frustration. And you know, you have you know, I have friends that are um, like having the uh, we should have the best result for our our draft lottery positioning. Yeah, um, and I don't want to. I think that we we could talk in more broader terms in a future episode about how what happened with the Whitecaps made us feel. But my my goal and what I wanted heading into this was just at the end of this weird, terrible 
no good season for everyone. Mm-hmm. Just give me a little bit more joy. Give me one more. Yeah. Give me one more positive moment. Just give me a good night in this terrible year, and I got it, and I can be thankful for that. That is an excellent way of reframing it and and looking at it. Because yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and and there and I didn't. <laughs> I didn't totally overlook the joyous part of it. It was nice to win a game. It was nice to pace the galaxy. Um, for the galaxy's part, I I have nothing new to add to my commentary except, like, wow, you really just could scrap this entire squad from top to bottom. Uh, Legit has had moments. That's about it. The rest has been pretty across the board, just hopelessly not good enough. Um, and yeah, I've, I have no idea. I fully expect they are going to f- sign a coach that doesn't really make sense, probably bring in another expensive attacking DP, and have more or less the season they had this year next year. Uh, the U.S. men's national team played today, and I didn't really pay that much attention to it, but I enjoy... It amuses me to no end the difference in attitudes between players, how people play about, feel about American players... When they play yeah. in the men's national team versus when they play in MLS, like if you mm-hmm. if you watch if you only watch Columbus games, you would never know that there was any uh, mm-hmm. controversy around Gassi Zardes. And the in today's game against Wales, I think it, I'm just double checking that it was. It's like uh, Legette started, and people are people are just beaking Legette to no end, saying, you know, oh my God, he's starting. It's like <laughs> there was a time when being the best player on the LA Galaxy <laughs> merited merited an automatic starting place. That time is not now. No, no. I mean. I'm comfortable giving Burhalter the benefit of the doubt that he's he's building the right squad, but man, nobody hates that team as much as the fans. <laughs> I think you, you could have eleven Jordan Morrises on the pitch, and people would still find something to complain about. Love you, American. Sorry for this. Love you. This, You've been through a tough dunk. year. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> Appreciate your soccer team, but it's, it's not wrong. Okay. It's a very accurate dunk. Um... <laughs> Yes, that's uh, that's that's where we leave things at the end of this season, I, where they decided they had to try and, and they executed it. We we are getting a playoffs, and the playoffs start on the twentieth, and and they are going to be home market playoffs somehow, despite our discussions. I haven't I haven't seen wider discussions about what will happen if COVID crops up. Um, yeah, they seem to just be in a hope and pray model, so it should be interesting. I mean, I'm sure there's stuff behind the scenes, but yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. I guess with fewer teams, it might be a little bit easier to manage, but yeah, you you have to wonder why they couldn't have done a, a bubble tournament for this, but there will be more soccer, it seems. Bubble it up. Um also, the uh, the other big thing that is taking place right now is that Racing Louisville is uh, is has been doing their expansion draft this evening. Um, after taking, uh, let me just grab the uh, let me grab the list up here. After uh, after starting things 
early by uh, by trading for Yuki Nagasato and Savannah McCaskill for the Chicago Red Stars and grabbing Shana Matthews off of waivers from the Spirit. Uh, their first pick, uh, the 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 big one that they were interested in getting was Addison Merrick from the North Carolina Courage. Uh, they also took Atlanta Kennedy, um, who the Orlando player on loan to Spurs, uh, and the Caitlin Ford also from the Pride. How did they take two players from the Pride? I didn't think if you, I thought if you, anyways, I thought if you picked in the expansion draft, you didn't get to you didn't get to take another team from the same uh, another player from the you same think team. So too. Um. Weird. But Michelle Betos and uh and the the uh the headlines will be uh Tobin Heath and Kristen Press will also be heading to Louisville. So two Ooh. two big uh from uh Utah Royals is Press and Heath comes from the Thorns. Uh so two big US women's national team players will uh mm-hmm. will anchor the team. That's certainly those names um, certainly both uh, are are sort of the frame around which you could build a great um, NWSL side. Uh, I think. For sure. I think is that assuming that press comes back because press is oh. uh, press doesn't have press doesn't have her team in her uh, in her title, but I thought she's somebody that went over. Manchester United. That's right. Mm. That's that's one of the challenges I think all over is that's one of the challenges I think all over is is uh, with the expansion draft is that there were so many there were so many players that were on the list that were retired or on loan or were fully uh, departed. You could you right. could acquire Abby Wambach right rights in this draft if you felt like it, uh, if I recall, or I I might have just seen that as a that might have been a bit that I saw. But Nadine, <laughs> uh, because if you had a if because if you had a player and you had the rights to the player, you know you're you're certainly not protecting a player that is not ever going to start. So it's like. I no. think Portland had legitimately did have because I looked at the list and I saw somebody mention Wambach that might have been a joke, but um, I did legitimately see we saw in the NWSL Challenge Cup that uh, they signed the goalkeeper coach German legend Nadine Onherer to a uh, to a emergency goalkeeper deal. You could draft the rights to Nadine Onherer in this in this uh, <laughs> in this expansion draft. I don't know what your if you would have uh, as much luck getting her to uh, getting to her to report, and indeed you may have just as much luck getting Tobin Heath uh, prizing Tobin Heath away from Manchester United. Um, but uh, but it is interesting to try. For sure. Hmm. Oh my goodness! Well. We are we are here. We are finally at the end. Um, we'll have playoffs coming to you next week, obviously. Um, a thing that I wanted to let folks know is that if you have suggestions for stuff to, for us to talk about in the off season, I know there's still playoffs to happen, but um, definitely hit us up. I, when you and I haven't talked about it, but 
I, I think there's a lot of different directions of things that we could cover. I'm anticipating there's probably going to be a late start to, to next season. So, um, you know, how much we do and how often is largely dependent on suggestions and if there's other things that folks want to talk about. So if you have something ridiculous, wonderful, controversial, etc., just hit us up on uh, Twitter, That's So MLS, or on Instagram at That's So MLS, and how can folks get a hold of you? You can get a hold of me online on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. I really appreciate the hand action for this that nobody but me can see. <laughs> Excellent. Where can we find you online? And of course, you, uh, Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. You can find this podcast at That's So MLS.com on Apple Podcasts, the other podcast places as well. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps other people find this show. <sighs> and until next week, if you if you are if you are leading as your team goes into the playoffs. Don't get yeah. sent off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>